If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, if it's the first Monday of the month, then it must be time for helping behaviorally challenging students. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you, as always, live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Um, I know that our two uh, educators from British Columbia will not be joining in with us today, but our main educators are with us. Tom and Nina, how are you both today? Good, thanks. Doing well? Good. Now, unbeknownst to Tom, but known to Nina. Oh, um, <laughs> We have a special topic for today's program. Do we have Vicki with us as well? Vicki's right here, yep. Great. Hi, Vicki. Vicki is the former principal at Central School in South Berwick, Maine, and Nina is the current principal at Central School in South Berwick, Maine. If you've heard of Central School in South Berwick, Maine, it's because they were featured in Mother Jones magazine this past summer. Um, Tom is the current assistant superintendent in uh, a school system in Maine that I always forget the call letters for, so forgive me, but also a former principal of at least three schools that I can remember. Is that right? Two. Yep, two. Two, sorry. Um, and more street, yeah. We have a topic of the day, Tom. All right. Um, and it's school values. And... Um, unbeknownst to you, Tom, I've actually been working with Central School to be more explicit about their school values, and um, we've met twice about this. Um, big question is, should schools have values that they try to abide by, and should they have values not only for how kids should be treated by adults, but also how adults treat each other. And at uh, Central School in South Berwick, Maine, the answer is very much yes. And thanks to one of their uh, paraprofessionals, is that what we would call Susan Forsley? Uh, Yes, educational technicians is what we Educational technician. She took a stab at... Um, being very um, explicit in delineating the values at uh, Central School. But that discussion turned into um, what should be the values of a building in which we are trying to foster the skills, empathy, 
appreciating how one's behavior is affecting other people, resolving disagreements in ways that do not involve conflict, taking another person's perspective, honesty. Um, is it possible to embed lessons about those things into the curriculum? And where does that curriculum come from? Our values. And so we thought it would be a good idea to revisit this topic on today's radio program. Um, let's begin with the following question before we dive into the values. Um, do most schools, besides their mission statement, do most schools have a set of core values? Happy for any of you who work in school buildings to weigh in on that question. Do most schools have an explicit set of core values for how kids are going to be treated by the adults in the building? I think a lot of them do, but I'm not sure that they actually use them. So you, you can look at, um, I mean, I've never done a, a, an analysis of a number of school handbooks, although it would be interesting information. But if you look at school handbooks, school staff handbooks, student books, there's almost always a mission statement and core values or beliefs. It's rare that they're actually used in a constructive and productive way. So at Moore Street, we developed a mission statement, and frequently I would actually bring the mission statement up and say, have you, you know, let's make this decision, but let's think about our mission statement first. And it, and it was funny because at first it kind of felt almost like folks thought that was a little bit corny to do that. Um, and I, I'd like to have seen it take on more of a life than it really did before I left. But it's something that I think is very, very important for organizations to reflect on, that that mission statement should reflect the values and that the values should be actionable and teachable. Good. Nina, Vicki, want to weigh in? I think as we were talking, we realized that our our mission statement wasn't really connected to our values and that we are we follow have all these values that we follow but we had never explicitly written them down and as we were trying to write them realizing that it was just it was as much about the kids as it was about the adults so it was really fun to kind of explore that and realize we didn't have a really authentic document to capture um what we do and and I think if we had 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 um, a mission statement or statement of values before we started using um, CPS that we would have to totally revamp it anyway. And I think what we were always looking for or aiming for was a tone rather than doing anything explicit. And I also remember one of the things we would say, though it's not in our mission statement, is, is this what's best for kids? So when we ever got ourselves backed into a corner or we needed to be explicit about why we were making a decision, that would be where we would end up, but certainly didn't tell people how, didn't tell people why, and it wasn't teachable. It was just something that um, when I really needed to justify something, I I could say, is this best? And I I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in a school building. It's a whole lot easier to think about what you should do or what you should do next if there are values driving what you should do and what you should do next and what you think is important. 
without values, I find that what we have instead is what I would call winging it. Um, just going with our instincts in the moment, which can be driven by any variety of things, including, and often, unfortunately, emotion, which can sometimes lead us in the wrong direction. So, okay with you all if I read the first three of uh, the core values that we used as our jumping-off point for the core values at Central School in South Berwick, and we will expand upon them as we go? Sure. Sure. Here we go. All students are capable of learning. It's our responsibility to find the most effective way to teach each student. Our students' social and emotional growth is just as important as their academic development. We model how to treat everyone with dignity and respect. And Vicki, I'm going to add the one that you just mentioned, and that is, whatever we do, it's what's best for kids. Now, um, in our meeting at Central School last week, we expanded upon those. But, um, well, let's start with Nina, because you were there, and you probably have a better memory than I do. Um, I don't know. <laughs> then let's let's not worry about let's not worry about the process that occurred last week and let's just expand on these. One of the things I know happened is that we began applying um these core principles not only to adult child interactions but also to adult adult interactions but we'll I guess we'll We'll ring the bell at around 4.05 Eastern time here when we have about 10 minutes left if we don't get to that beforehand. But what do you all want to say about those, expand upon with regard to those first four? Whatever we do, it's what's best for kids. We model how to treat everyone with dignity and respect. Our students' social and emotional growth is just as important as their academic development. All of our students are capable of learning. It's our responsibility to find the most effective way to teach each student. I'm going to let you all expand as you wish. Uh, one thing I know that we talked a lot about when we said the modeling um, dignity and respect is we also talked about relationships, and we were talking about the genuine relationships that not only adults have with kids, but that adults have with each other, uh, and that through those genuine relationships that that's how we're also modeling and that uh, children can really feel that difference when the staff are working together in a genuine way and that they have genuine care for each other. So we, we talked about that and how um, you know, making sure you foster the relationships among the staff is really important in order to pass that along to the children. And say more about how you all do that at your school. I've always thought Central School was a pretty unique place. I always felt the same thing when I walked into Morse Street School, Tom's old school. But, um, and, and as I have mentioned before, there have been buildings that I've walked into where you could feel the oppressive nature of the atmosphere almost the minute you walked in the building. Um, 
at Central School, you walk in and you feel a place that is light and vibrant and very kid-friendly. How have you managed to pull that off? Um, well, I think that I, I I do think those relationships are fostered because we do allow everyone to have a voice and that you want everyone to have that collaboration with all aspects from you know, budget to decision-making, whatever you can do, is that all staff has the voice and that the children are come first along with that. So I think um, you just even if people have differences, that we value each other's opinions. It would be one thing. And I, I think going back to the modeling, I think um, staff members have always felt comfortable with saying, I don't know how to do that. Can I watch you do that? Yeah. Or I'm trying to do this, but I don't. I'm not quite sure I'm doing it right the right way. Would you watch me? So there's a transparency that you don't find in many buildings where you, people are perfectly willing to say, I'm not very good at this. What am I missing? Or um, can you come in and watch? That that kind of modeling is so important for kids because they see us doing the same thing that we ask them to do. When you need help, ask for it. When you So we do that in the hallways. I know we started that with... Um, when we started with CPS, when we'd walk by a, a teacher and a child who might be struggling, and instead of just walking by or just pitching in, we would say, hi, I noticed, you know, this is what's going on. Could I, do you need some help? And if the teacher said, no, I'm fine, we would keep on going. And if they said, nope, I need some help, we would pitch right in, you know, tell me what to do. And I think the kids see that we're really a team and we treat each other the way they, we ask them to treat each other. I would say Tom, anything to Tom, add? Yeah, I mean, that is the hallmark of a great school, that everyone feels safe to take risks and expose their weaknesses. And I think that culture takes time to build. And I would say that um, to piggyback uh, on what Nina just said, that is also the hallmark of a great school academically. So it's okay to say this student's been struggling with this aspect of reading and I've tried these interventions. I don't know what to do. Does anyone else have an idea? He's not. The, 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 I, again, the, the the thing that I loved in the values that you just read was the sense of ownership, that everyone owns a piece of this and that we are responsible for it together. The values don't say Johnny's not learning because his parents are a mess, and the values don't say, you know, it's not my fault if the kid doesn't learn. I'm just going to teach it, and they either get it or they don't. I don't mean to be blunt, but that is the attitude of some people, and I'm starting to sense a a, a real shift. Um, as I talk to people in academic circles of, of a more, a higher level of comfort in people saying, yeah, this is my responsibility. And I, I think that's wonderful because it, it just, it can only set us up for more success. So it's, I just love the tone and the attitude in the, in the comments, you know, every day when I drive to work, I ask myself, what would I do if this kid were my son? Yeah. That's my personal way of, of, I've done that my whole life. I've always said, once I had boys, I realized how scary it is to raise a child. And so every time I was faced with a difficult decision, I would just ask myself, what, what, what would I do if this were my kid? And, you know, it really has never steered me wrong. Mm -hmm. So that would be maybe that teachable or more practical component. But I think that sentiment embodies the values that you just read. Yeah, putting that word empathy, that's the ultimate empathy to me is is. You know, thinking that way, thinking through the eyes of the parents gives the ultimate empathy in every decision we make or how we approach um, any, you know, challenging child in the behavior sense or academic sense. 
and I agree, Tom. I think that that willingness to say, what would I want to have for my child, or what would I want to have for myself, if I were having trouble right now with a particular child in my class, what would I wish that someone had done when I was in that same position? Would I, and and I didn't ask for help because I was afraid to, or I didn't know who to ask. Now we know in this building who to ask, who who's comfortable helping. We know who can let us right into their classroom and watch, or who would even take the child and say, let's let's pair up together and we'll do some um, interventions here in um, a way that's really genuine, not a not a um, check and fill in the blank kind of helping. It's it's all um, because we want help and we want to give it. Well, and I, I think too, Nina. Tell me what you think about this, but it's one thing when somebody gets frustrated or emotional, as Ross alluded to earlier. When there's a culture of respect and trust, and everyone's like, "Wow, that must mean a lot to that person because they're mm-hmm. they're frustrated or angry right now." It's very different than being in a caustic culture when everyone's just frustrated and angry all the time. Right. So I, right. I was in a meeting the other day where I, I literally said, "I am not doing things this way in a district that I run. I'm not." Yeah. And I was emphatic and quite emotional about it, and I meant it. But yeah. I had spent so much time building relationships with people and listening. It, it was received by the majority of people as being pretty passionate and sincere, mm-hmm. not yep. um, not manipulative. And, and I think yes. the values drive that culture of trust where you can even eventually get to the point where you can trust each other to be upset. Right, um, right. And that it's safe to be upset and know that you're not going to be ostracized if you are because people need to feel feelings. So I think mm-hmm. that kids need to see, too, that, hey, you know what? It's okay to be really upset right now. I'm still going to help you with this. and. It goes back to that whole thing about about Harry Wong and his research about the first thing that the kid wonders is, does the teacher like me? And my mm-hmm. response is, the, the kid's not going to ask you that. You have to tell them through your body language and tone. Yes. It, it, it isn't about, you know, you can't fake that. Exactly. You, you mentioned the word safety. Let, let's play fill in the blank, because I think this is part of the core values. School is a safe place to learn. Uh, I was trying not to make a joke. I'm sorry, Ross. I couldn't help it. I didn't hear what you said. Did you say school is a safe place to go skiing? <laughs> no, 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 no. School is a safe place to, to fail. I'd like to hear kids say when they come to school, school is a safe place to fail. To fail. Yeah. yeah. Take risks and fail. Yep. Yeah. What is take, take risks? Mm-hmm. Have different differing opinions or differing learning styles. School is a, a safe, safe place to be yourself. There, yeah, and I was going to say a safe place to be quiet when you want to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Nina, that works for introverts. I'm not sure that would work for me, but I'm, I'm cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's where I I think of myself, and a lot of times I wish people would just let me think and not ask me to raise my hand. Yes, I I made that comment because I know you very well, and I would agree that that would work for you. (laughs) Keep going. What else else is school a safe place to? Or did we cover Uh, it? Succeed, Mm -hmm. to to, um, shine. When, when you have a talent that you want to share or something you want to share, um, it's comfortable for other people to see you succeed. 
I like that one very much. I like school as a safe place to explore. Yeah, that's a good one. To be curious. Yeah, to be curious. That's great. I like that too, Nina. But I, I, I don't know about you, Nina, but as a parent, I always used to try to think, like, what can I do to create an environment for this kid to just figure out who they are the best possible until they leave me? Absolutely. And, and I hate to say, like, I, I've failed at that at times, but I've also mm-hmm. gotten better at it, so I try not to be too hard on myself. I mean, I, I'd like to be the perfect parent, but I'm certainly not. But I mm-hmm. keep trying to make a place for them to kind of do their thing and figure out who they are, like... One of my kids hated building Legos by the book. And so mm-hmm. I used to try to teach him how to build Legos by the book. And then all of a sudden I was like, what do you want to do with these Legos? And he's like, I just want to make what I want. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so he got out of the way and now he makes all kinds of stuff. But none of it's by the book. Yep. Shame on me, you know, but I tried. <laughs> I think it's also school is a safe place to be reflective. And you want staff and kids to be reflective. I think that's a really important important way you grow and learn about children and learn about each other and um like you said a safe place to make mistakes where i've had many teachers you know model apologizing to children or you know to for mistakes they make so i think it's just as much for staff hey ross i got one school's a a place where it's safe to be who you are Mm -hmm. yeah to be yourself here let me read you what we have so far i love this School is a safe place to fail, to take risks, to be different, to explore, to be curious, to make mistakes, to have a different opinion, to think, to be reflective, to have a different learning style, to be yourself, to share, to shine. That's certainly the hope is that it would be those things. Any further expansion of the um, top four, whatever we do, it's what's best for kids. We model how to treat everyone with dignity and respect. Our students' social and emotional growth is is just as important as their academic development. How do, um, you know, the, the question on that one, that's a nice thing to say. But as we've talked about sometimes, I find that many schools take care of the social-emotional growth part of the day in the first 15 minutes in a circle and then spend the rest of the day not only only focused on academics but also um, contradicting virtually everything they did in those first 15 minutes of the day. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? That is the the biggest problem in public schools, that hypocrisy. And I'll tell you why. Because the kids are totally aware if you take that first 15 minutes to have your morning meeting and then your body language, tone, lesson plans, and vibe aren't congruent, you are done with classroom management. They are not going to respond to you because they can sense the inherent incongruency in the person. And that, that is exactly why I talk so much about this work at Columbia University and Teachers College that the whole model is designed to create a culture of trust and learning that expands children's sense of who they are through learning how to read and write and express themselves through reading and writing as an art form, not as a rote academic. I I have to say that I am dangerously close to 
a philosophy that espouses that academics and social and emotional learning are literally the same thing. That mm-hmm. people who talk about them separately don't understand that your emotional intelligence and creativity is just as critical as your academic skills, and that if they're taught well, they're learned all together at once. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're talked about just as easily any time during the day. It's not like we did that first 15 minutes, and I think hypocrisy was a perfect example, and I don't think people mean it that way sometimes, but it's like, okay, check that off. We've talked about how we should treat each other. Now let's get to the real part of the day where we treat each other, and it has nothing to do with what you just talked about. Right. You know, maybe hurry yeah. up. No, you can't talk. You have, to raise, you have to do this. You have to do this. Don't do that. And uh, kids see right through that. Yeah, it's funny. It's like check, we've checked off the part of the day where we talk about how we're going to treat each other, and then they then the teacher starts treating everyone with frustration or the whatever right. whoever's right. working in the school. It's it, 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 it's weird too, though, Nina. I, I wouldn't you agree that there's a fine line between being firm enough to hold kids accountable and keep the structure moving forward, with being soft enough and warm enough so that it comes from a place of caring. I mean, would, yeah. would you mm-hmm. agree with that, Susan? And, and would you also agree that the tone of voice is a critical component? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. In body language, kids pick up on that so quickly when you're saying one thing in your face and your, like you said, your tone mean exactly the opposite. Like they, they can talk, they talk, but they're not talking. Yes. Well, you know, you know, it's funny. Scary. Too, I had a. Yeah, well, I, it goes back to that first thing that Ross was saying, though, that I, I do want to talk about because I love it, is the adult-to-adult interaction. Because what I've noticed is that um, I had a situation recently that I can't talk about much on the phone, but I'll just simply say that when I was done here... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. ...were to this person. <laughs> Tom, we, Tom, we lost you for about 10 seconds. We thought the censors got a hold of you. <laughs> oh, no, no, I wasn't dropping anything in my back now. I'm sorry. Yeah, You're yeah. back. You're back. Yeah, I was at a. I had to go to a legal conference, legal consultation, and I'm driving back from there. Um, the, the the gist of it was that that um, when I got out of the situation, I was working on it with a colleague, and the colleague said to me after they said, "You just held a very difficult person totally accountable, and I don't even think they know that you did it." Or if they know that you did it, they can't come away from it saying that you were difficult or mean or overly firm. Yeah. It was yeah. explicitly clear was expected, but it was done with total respect. I have to, right. like, I have to work at that every day, right? Yeah. Not, that does not come easily to me. And I think it's really easy when we talk about these things for folks who might be listening to think that those of us who are working on this get it. But it's not like that. It's an everyday mm-hmm. process of modifying how and what you say. It's not what you say, it's the way you say it would be a good rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And, and what I have relied on, and this is Vicky, but I rely on watching how Nina does it, and this sounds pretty trite, but <laughs> I learned so much from her because she listens really well, she reflects, and then she responds. And um, that did not come natural to me all the time. And so um, when, you know, when you know there's someone among you that, that models well, the traits that you're looking for. That's why we need exceptional people working in our buildings, and it it really does spread. It, that's how it's thing, and and then you realize that you do make, need to make it explicit. But um, that kind of modeling, whether you realize you're modeling or not, has a tremendous impact on people who want to change. 
Can yeah, you all I, I say – go ahead. Sorry, Tom. No, no. I, I thought that was very fair because knowing, knowing that you need to work on it, like awareness is the beginning of change, right? So what Vicky just said was great because some people naturally listen really well and, and then reflect and then give people the psychological space. I think one of the problems with school culture is that sometimes the people who need to do that better don't even know that they need to do it. And that's where good leadership can come into play is that the principal can have a private conversation and say, look, I really want you to just focus on totally looking at the person, listening, pausing, checking to see if they're finished, and then right. reflecting back what you heard before you say anything. That's your, like, little mantra right now. Yeah. There, there are some folks in schools who really need to not – actually, I'll take that back. There are just human beings who need to work on that, and I, I'll say it myself included. I've worked hard on that. Mm-hmm. Right, and that doesn't mean – I mean, listening and reflecting doesn't mean you don't have some strong feelings or opinions, right. but it means that's the way you're trying to collaborate and to come to some resolution. I think um, you know, not to get mixed up. doesn't mean you're not strong in what right. you believe. It just means – uh, that's just the way that you know, you want to collaborate with colleagues and um, children and parents. Yeah, Nina, would you say that in your school you've been able to create a culture where people feel safe to work on themselves that way? I think so. I think yeah. that's because we do we talk about it all the time. I mean, um, you know, especially with kids that are, have a lot of challenging behavior, a lot of times those kids are known by everybody and um, sometimes the hardest moments are the most public. So we end up talking a lot and I do talk a lot about things I wish I had done differently or um, apologize to people. And I think we all sort of are able to do that. And um, we did talk about this last week a little bit, that that culture of really that need to know, but also giving that, you know, in order to work as an entire team, the, the staff need to know, um, you know, what children are are dealing with or what they're coming with. And we really spend a lot of time kind of, you know, talking about that because I do think in a smallish school setting that the children are all our children, and I think everybody really feels that way. So I think giving that respect, too, to really kind of um, talking about all the children as, you know, we're all a team. And I went up on team. Yeah, I love that. Nice. That's great. Can you all talk a little more about, Nina, I think you were just doing it, but there's two words I'd love you guys to talk more about. Nina, I think you were just talking a little bit about transparency, Mm -hmm. Um, talking about what you wish you'd done differently, people know each other's stuff. Anything more to say about transparency before we turn our attention to trust, which I would love to hear you talk more about as well? Well, I think the transparency... No, go ahead. Nice. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, do you think that transparency and humility are linked? Are humility or what? Link. Link. Uh, yeah. Humility, humility and transparency are almost synonymous. I think or, so. They're symbiotic would be better, I guess. Absolutely. I think that's where also our you know our staff are really transparent with each other. A lot of times, we've talked about. Um, you know, people going through a lot of hard times, and I just had this conversation the other time with somebody saying, is it just that our, you know, that we go through a lot of hard times or is it because we have that transparency with each other, which also goes along with the trust as well. Um, and I do think you know, we know each other really well as a staff on um, a lot of levels, which I think that does, that just helps 
with working with the children, too. So I think the transparency goes with staff and with being transparent about the children and who, you know, who's going through a hard time, what child's going through a hard time, and then that just lends itself to empathy as as well, where everybody always just wants to help all the time. And I, I think a good word even more than um, symbiotic is synergistic. I think you gain so much power, mm-hmm. so much more powerful when you're transparent and people trust because um, then everything starts to happen and you don't have to re-explain things every time. And parents even in the building understand that if we're not chasing a child down the hall and, and we're waiting to you know talk to him quietly later, we don't have to keep saying again and again, trust us, this is what we are working toward, everyone is safe, they start to um, just recognize what we're doing. And so it's very powerful to have the two together. It makes everything happen more quickly, I think, and positively. I think if I become a superintendent someday, Nina, I'm going to have to come work in your district. That'd be pretty fun. Okay. Um, I'd love to I, I work with that, you. I, I think Nina that, uh, likes her superintendent, Tom. No, I no, do. I know. I was just joking. I was just joking. Um, but I, I do think that I, I love that idea of synergy, and I, I think that, that trust and Ross's point about trust and transparency are, are great. I do think that it's almost like a three-way street, though, that humility is a mix in there because with that trust in the, in the, the um, ability to expose yourself plays into it all, and, and that's true for academics and behavioral. Again, I think they're all one thing at this point. So I don't know. It's a complicated thing, and I think that it, it does take a lot of time and consistency of leadership. I mean, schools so often have a change in leadership so quickly that it's difficult to really establish that culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's also with talking about trust and safety. It's, um, you know, having expectations but not having pressure. Like, So that lends itself for transparency, too, that the you know administration's not walking around saying, you need to get this and this on these test scores. Are there, it's an open relationship where it's, trust and it's also that but that also doesn't mean you don't have expectations that everyone's going to do the best they can so i think it's a mixture i i would agree completely sometimes can come from all the way from the school board level about exactly the difference between the difference between between that piece about trust and expectations and i think that also the staff sense trust and expectations the same way that kids do Yes. So sometimes I think a principal or an administrator has to be be the buffer so that um, teachers can focus on what's important for children and each other and um, let all that upper pressure, some of the upper pressure, just be absorbed by the principal and it's kind of like, you know, I'm taking, I'm the umbrella, mm-hmm. this is where you live. Yep. No, I, I, I've said that often to people that, that when the state comes to get somebody because our scores aren't quite what they want them to be, the people be from uh, the, the movie The Matrix that walked through walls, they're coming to get me, so you all take care of the yeah. I'll go exactly. with that. <laughs> and, and mean it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I mean it. Yep, they know I mean it. Yeah. Yep, I agree with that. So, you know, Ross, it's funny because you've known us a long time, and I'm starting to sense a, a growth in this, these conversations. Um, it's really cool to observe and from a process perspective over the last four years, you know? I think it's very cool. Um, 
these discussions, you know, I think that where collaborative and proactive solutions fits into all of this is that CPS is among the different ways in which one would go about expressing these values in one's day-to-day interactions with kids and with each other. It's not the only way in which these values can be expressed. Um, And there are certainly values that go along with CPS, but um, when we start with values, I think it, as I said in the beginning, I think it makes it a lot easier to make decisions and to select what is going to work in our building. Because what's going to work in our building and the interventions we're going to try and the ways in which we're going to go about proceeding and interacting with kids and with each other is only going to be stable if it is grounded in certain values. And that's why I thought we would devote this program to being trying to be explicit about them. And I'll tell you what, once we get these finalized, I think I'll post them on the website in association with this program, and people will be able to find them if they want to. Let me, um, we have uh, eight minutes left. Shall we turn our attention to anything that we haven't covered related to how adults interact with each other in the building? What, what I like about this is that we don't have a double standard between how adults interact with each other and how adults interact with kids, and how we expect kids to interact with kids, they're all the same thing. My question is, is there anything we want to say more about how adults interact with each other in the building? Because it's going to bleed down, that's for sure. Ross, do you think that the core value of CPS is that kids do well if they can? And if so, I think that's... do you think that affects... Does it affect the well, I think, that will well, they interact I, better? I think that people do well if they can is a great core value for a building. I would say that if, if you twisted my arm behind my back and said, is if there's a core value of CPS, what would it be? It would definitely be kids do well if they can. And if all the adults but, adopt that value, doesn't it affect the relationships and make them better? Because I find that the, the relationships between adults erode when they don't have the same values. Mm-hmm. Say more about that? Well, I think that if you have a group of adults where one group of adults believes that kids do well if they can, and another group of adults in the building where kids don't, where teachers don't believe that, or, or people, staff members, then it, they can become a little bit at odds, and, and part of the whole values conversation is that if we create them together and adopt them, um, they should improve adult relationships because then the conversations are through a lens of having shared values or beliefs. So it's kind of like a married couple, you know, like if you don't have the same values about whatever it is, keeping the kitchen clean or whatever, then you might argue about that, whereas if you can clarify it and come to some consensus about what to do about it, it might take that off your plate. I just, I guess what I'm throwing out is that I would love to continue this conversation at the next program because <laughs> there's a lot to it. Um, so anyway, that's um, me. Just curious. Yep. Vicki, Nina, anything to pitch in here? Sorry, go ahead. I, I think um, 
what makes it difficult is um, people have been, adults have been practicing a belief a lot longer than children have. And so some, some of us might say, yes, I get it, I do that. And then when they get emotional or they get backed into a corner, it's so easy to revert back to those beliefs that kids really can't accomplish, you know, they can't be successful, this kid is just not going to make it. And those kinds of feelings um, always surprise me. But there's such genuine feelings that have been practiced for so long because of cu our culture mm -hmm. that um, modeling, again, becomes really important and being explicit about expectations. But y you have to be as patient with the adults as you are with the children. Mm -hmm. You have to say, you know, I noticed or, you know, we might not say it that, that clearly to them, but you have to be as patient and um, willing to go just as far as you would with any child you have with the adults that can't mm -hmm. can't get it right away, because every adult would be kind and caring if they could be. That's, yeah. I also think something I that we talked that. about last week about the adults is um, sort of uh, I, I not having a hierarchy. So sort of just make, and something that Vicky used to just model so much for me is the um, including you know including everyone, everyone training, everyone's getting the different training about CPS. It's about um, including educational technicians in in meetings and in staffings and in um, genuine back and forth conversation. It's um, that blending all of those roles, I think it makes a school very collaborative. That there's not a, you know, that's, you're, you're a paraprofessional so you don't get that information or you don't get that voice. I think that's really, really important. I love that. Nina, you're on fire today. I'm loving it. I really, I, I just think that you put a lot of thought into this, and I think it's very, very, very good work. Thank you. It's really Thank exciting, you. and I, I really want to hear more about it. It's just great. Tom, let me ask you. I'm less familiar with what's going on at Columbia than you are. Is this something they are focused on or not really? Culture is everything if we're going to teach kids how to read. Because if you think about how scary it is for a kid to take a risk to read out loud when they're, when they're struggling with fluency, or you think about um, uh, how difficult it is to word solve for little kids or for an older kid to read a text and not fully comprehend the inferred meaning, those are all risks that have to be taken, and culture supports that. So I, I would venture that my interpretation of my time working at, with the folks at Columbia and the teachers' college is that they are completely behind this, although it may not be as explicit as I'm making it because I've kind of just been lucky enough to know you and to work with them at the same time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So they, they, I think that, that everybody is starting to have conversations and, and becoming enlightened about this idea that I, I, it's kind of like nature versus nurture. It's, I, I, I learned in college early on, I kept asking about it, and reading about it, it's not nature versus nurture, it's nature and nurture, they're together. Well, academic, Always. social, and emotional behavior, you know, social and emotional work and academics are together. They're one thing. We're dealing with cultivating human beings. If we want them to be able to communicate effectively, be creative, and be able to solve problems, then they need to feel safe. It's that simple. And it doesn't mean that you're safe from the ramifications of making a mistake. As an adult, if you make a mistake, you might pay for it, but it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And that's what we need to teach kids is that you may take a risk and you may fail, and that's okay. You pick yourself up and you do it again. And, you, you know, it's like that old saying, you know, that 
the master has failed more times than the student has tried. Right. Right. We want to teach kids to do that. That's what I want to teach my kids. I tell my kids, yeah. you get on that mountain. If you fall, you get right back up and keep riding unless you're hurt. Because yeah. if you're scared of it, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be hesitant, and if you're hesitant, you're gonna get hurt more. It's okay to fall. Yeah, but it, isn't it awful cold out there, Tom? Oh, serious again? I'm sorry. I do that. <laughs> you know me. I'm kind of intense. I'm sorry. No, I just... Cold I, out there. You have the right gear, man. What do you wear? Like, you know, sweatshirt? I mean, come on. You, you know, no matter, no matter how hard I tried to have the right gear, I was always cold anyways. That's why I gave it up. Of yeah, course, I wasn't moving minute. as fast as you do. Yeah, I go pretty fast, so I don't feel much... Ex- I, I get warm. You know, a lot of work out there. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's call it a day, and I'm I'm delighted to continue this conversation the next time. Vicky, thanks for joining in with us today. Very happy to hear what you're doing. It's exciting. Nina and Tom, thanks as always. We may have the added benefit of Carol and Susan next week. We will find out. But in the meantime, I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you all. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. Take care. Great discussion. Bye-bye.